right, guys, we're super excited about our guest speaker, Mark Aspinwall, coming to us via Zoom to equip us on how to reach out to Muslims and share our faith and love. Here you go. Let me give you a 30-second story of who I am. Um, I was a, got saved in 1976, went to law school, practiced corporate law for 20 years, and quit my law job in 2000. I literally called up my pastor and said, hey, Steve, for just a little bit of money, I would be your missions pastor. And he, and he came through with just a little bit of money, and I was a missions pastor for, <laughs> for, for 10 years at an evangelical free church. And one of the things we did there is we took short-term teams into Afghanistan shortly after uh, the U.S. invasion in Afghanistan, and we would with people from the church would teach uh, English classes, mostly to college or graduate school students, really looking for the chance to share the gospel with them. And so I made, I don't know, six or eight trips to Afghanistan during the early 2000s. And, and then since 2010, I've been working with an organization called E3 Partners, and I'm the Indonesia country director. So I don't know if you know this, but Indonesia is actually the, by population, the largest Muslim majority country in the world. And so I've been basically training Indonesians how to share the gospel with Muslims and, and how to plant house churches that can multiply. Uh, and that's how I met Jim Yost, who introduced me to Chris. So that's my story. That's awesome. Um, and so, you know, there are other people who know more about sharing with Akan people than I do. But I know enough to help you get started. <laughs> so, so I want to talk first about what we're trying to accomplish. And Chris and I were talking about this, and this is how I would phrase it, because I, I think it's helpful to sort of keep the goal in mind. We're trying to form friendships with Afghans so that we can sow spiritual truth into those friendships and start to discern who among them are spiritually open. Then as we find spiritually open people, we want to form up discovery groups around the open, the open people where they, where they can start to learn for themselves from the Bible, who is Jesus and how do I follow him? Somewhere along there, we're going to want to share the gospel in a way that makes sense to them, that, that they can understand. Then baptize those who choose to follow Jesus and then help them, help these new disciples to repeat the process, sowing spiritual truth into their relationships, looking for open people, leading them to Christ and forming discovery groups. The discovery groups, as people start to commit to Christ, become churches. Um, I just got back a week ago or so from Beirut, Lebanon, where my daughter and son-in-law are doing basically this um, and they've been there not quite two years. And while we were there, we baptized their first fourth generation Muslim background believer. So, so these things can, it can actually happen. It could work. Um, yeah, yeah, that's what I thought. So I want you just to think about, it, it's helpful as you get started to think about how do you look to one of these Afghan people? So if you're going around South Orange County and you bump into somebody and they find out 
learn that you're a Christian and they're an unbeliever, what do they assume about you? What does the typical Southern Californian assume about what a Christian is? Religious, boring. Uh, Religious, boring, self-righteous, judgmental, Republican, right? There's this whole list of things that come to the mind of a Southern Californian when you use the word Christian. What do you think comes to the mind of an Afghan when he thinks of the word Christian? Well, let me tell you a story. I was, I was in Mazar-e-Sharif, which is a city in northern Afghanistan, and I was standing outside the United Nations complex, and a young man, looked like a high school-age guy, came up. Clearly, he wanted to practice his English. And so he says to me, are, are you a Muslim? I said, no, I'm a Christian. And he looked at me and he said, don't you fear God? And I thought, this is very interesting because what, what comes into an Afghan's mind when they see a Christian is, number one, American equals Christian, yeah, right? Everybody in Afghanistan is a Muslim. They assume everybody in America is a Christian. And so everything they see on the media pertaining to America is what Christian is. So the, the, music, the music videos the movies, the TV shows, to them, that's what a Christian is. And so when they think Christian, they think sexually immoral, alcohol drinking, basically irreligious people who have no interest or desire to follow God. And for them, that's what a Christian is. So what that means is our first job as we start to get to know Afghan people is for them to realize, oh, this guy is not that kind of Christian, right? This guy is somebody who loves Jesus really, really a lot and is very serious about obeying him. In our culture, raising religion is a little bit uncomfortable. And so what I was teaching English, you know, to these Afghan students, it was mostly Afghan medical students. And if I were teaching English in the United States, for me to bring up religion would be strange. But Afghanistan is a deeply religious society. And so for them, religion permeates everything. And it was not at all awkward to talk about, so for example, we had one lesson that was today's students were going to talk about compassion. And then I told the story of the Good Samaritan. And I explained to them that this was from the Injil, from the New Testament, and we talked about what that meant. And if I were teaching an English class to American medical students, that would not go over well. But in Afghanistan, that's perfectly fine. So as you start to meet these guys, well, I, I was... Um, <laughs> I was in, in Indonesia one time and I was at a little restaurant and I started talking to a guy, young guy, Muslim guy, whose his business was in a lot of trouble. And, and so I offered, you know, could I pray for you? We prayed for him about his business. I shared a little bit of my testimony. 
And he called his father. And he wanted his father to come down to the restaurant to talk to me. And what he said is, I want you to meet this guy. He was talking about me. I want you to meet this guy. He's a Christian, but he's a man of God. And I thought, see, that's what we want people to say. We want them to think, oh, they're a Christian, but they're a person of God. They're serious about following God. So my first advice to you is don't be, I, I watch people start to work with Muslims and oftentimes they're afraid that, that talking about God is going to offend, so they don't. And what the Muslim thinks is, oh, they're, they're irreligious, just like I thought all Americans are. So you want, don't be afraid of that. And the things that, just real practical things that I would suggest is be open about God in your life. And if they have a problem, offer to pray for it. How many of you have much experience sharing the gospel across cultures? Great. And we've got about uh, six to 10 hands raised. I would, what I would like you to do is I'd like you to quickly divide into two groups and we're going to look at Acts chapter 17. And in Acts chapter 17, there are two gospel messages. Here, I'm going to put this slide up on the screen. Uh, one is in chapter 17, verses 1 to 4. And one is in chapter 17, verses 22 to 23. And I want, I want half the group to look at that first gospel message and the second half of the group to look at the second. And I want you to answer these four questions. Who is Paul preaching to? How does he begin his message? What does he quote or refer to? And how does he end his message? So let's get let's get a report from group number one. In verses one to four, who is Paul preaching to? Jews, the Athenians. Yeah, so he, he, he's preaching in a Jewish synagogue in Thessalonica. And how does he start his message? He explains about Jesus' suffering. Reasoning with him. Reasoning. Re yeah, and, it, and as he reasons with him, what does he quote or refer to? Suffering of Jesus? Yeah. The scriptures. The, the scriptures, it says. What does what, what he, when he says the scriptures, what's he talking about? What are the scriptures there? That would be the Torah, the, the prophets. Yes, yeah, it's, it's the Old Testament because the New Testament isn't written yet. Yeah. So. So, so basically, Paul is looking back at the Old Testament. He's making this argument, all these things that the trial, conviction, death, and resurrection of Jesus were predicted about the Messiah in the Old Testament. Therefore, this guy, Jesus, is the promised Messiah. And then it says, some believed him and some didn't. But, but he ends right. with... He ends with the death and resurrection of Jesus and the claim of Jesus as Messiah. Now, how about in, how about in the second sermon? Who is Paul preaching to? The people of 
people of Athens. Yeah, which, which people in particular? The religious leaders, the Athenians. Uh, yeah, yeah, it, it's a meeting of philosophers at sort of the, the Areopagus, which was sort of free speech corner in Athens. So he's talking to a meeting of Athenian philosophers. And how does he begin his message? By telling them that they're religious and that they're ignorant of the very thing that they worship. Yeah, he starts out by saying, boy, I, I, I see from all these things you're worshiping that you people are very religious. And, and, and then he comments on or refers to, first he refers to, I saw this one altar to an unknown God. And then he quotes one of their poets. He says, even your own poets say, in him we live and breathe and have our very being. And then how does Paul end his message? The same thing. <laughs> yeah, he says, but God, has, he says, up to now, God has overlooked these things. But in these last days, God has appointed a man to judge everyone, and he has proved his authority to judge by raising him from the dead. And, and so he ends with the death and resurrection of Jesus and his claim to authority. And to me, the interesting question is, why are these two sermons so different? It's because they're culturally different. So you're going, to their culture, it's based on what their culture would understand. Right. You would speak to them in a way that they would understand it. So, so if, he went to the, if he went to the philosophers in Athens and said, oh, what happened to Jesus is exactly what the Old Testament predicted about the promised Messiah, their response would be, what's the Old Testament? They, they don't understand that. Why should we believe it? Who's the Messiah? It would make no sense to them. Based on these two, I mean, these two gospel sermons that are right next to each other, what principles can we glean about sharing the gospel in different cultures? It has to be so they can understand it. They ha it has to right. we're, be we're in a language or culturally receptive. We're going to explain it differently we're in different cultures. What, what I would say is we're basically going to start where they are, you know, something that we have in common. And then we're going to build a bridge from the common ground that we have to Jesus. And, and so Paul didn't feel like he used the four spiritual laws or the Romans road or some other tool all the time, wherever he was. He tried to understand where am I? Who are these people? What do they believe? What do they not believe? What common ground do I have with them that I can start at and from there build a bridge to Jesus? So basic principle, if you're taking notes, is start where they are and build a bridge to Jesus. That's what you're trying to do when you share the gospel across cultures. That's good, Mark. I just want to notice something. Would someone read verse 16 for me of Acts, 7, of Acts 17? Now while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. What does that mean, his spirit was provoked? It means he was mad, right? He walked through this yeah. thing. He, he saw all these idols. <laughs> he, he thought, this is stupid. These people worshiping all these statues. Right. So that's what Paul is thinking. 
look what Paul says in verse 22. Come and read it. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. Okay. So Paul, what Paul does not say is, you people are a bunch of pagan idolaters, and it makes me mad. <laughs> right? Right. <laughs> Why? He speaks to them honestly. He doesn't. He doesn't talk to them. them. Yeah, or their ignorance. He acknowledges their level of devotion. Yeah. And yes. He, exactly. And, and my personal opinion is the reason is if, if you start by insulting somebody, they don't listen to the rest of what you have to say. So you should be prepared. People are going to ask you, so what do you think about Muhammad? And you could say, I think he's a blood-soaked pedophile false prophet. <laughs> How will the... How will the rest of that conversation go? Not very well. So a, a, a friend of mine who was a missionary, and he, an Egyptian guy, said, Mark, you should always be ready with one or two nice things to say about Muhammad. And so here's what I say. I say, well, Napoleon said Muhammad was the greatest military strategist of all time. So, so somebody says, what do you think about Muhammad? I'll say, you know. I grew up in America. I really don't know very much about Muhammad, but Emperor Napoleon said Muhammad was the greatest military strategist of all time. Um, That's good. And it's just, it's a way to respond without slapping them in their face. The, the, the other thing I'll sometimes say is, you know, Muhammad went to the tribes that were worshiping idols and he taught them to worship one God. And that's a good thing. Mm -hmm. But, but just be forearmed with one or two polite things to say about Muhammad so that you don't start by insulting them. That's good. So as we're thinking about the gospel, what's the one thing that makes Christianity different from Hinduism, Judaism, Islam? Mormonism, every other religion. What makes Christianity different? What what I would say, and 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 for sure this is true because of the the history concerning Jesus that he died and rose from the dead. But the thing that makes Christianity different from everything else is grace. Every other religion has its list of rules. So Hinduism says, you know, you can't eat beef and you have to make your sacrifices to the idols and so forth and so on. And if you do enough of those enough of the time, then you have positive karma. And in the end, you'll go to their equivalent of heaven. Islam says you have to pray five times a day. You have to sacrifice a sheep, you know, and, and they have their list of things that you have to do. And if you do those things enough of the time, then you're good enough for God to accept. So every other religion has a list of rules that if you follow, you're good enough. But isn't that the complaint of Muslims that because of grace, Christians think they can do whatever they want. And so it doesn't matter. It, it, it is. Yeah, it is. And we need to think about how to respond to that. Um, but we also need to have clear in our mind what the difference is. 
And, and the difference is that God accepts me not because I'm good, but because Jesus died and he forgives me. And God, by his grace, sends his Holy Spirit to give me the power to be what God wants me to be. And Islam doesn't have that. And so as we're thinking about sharing the gospel, that's what we're building a bridge to. We're building a bridge to grace. So the, that's good. the difference in Christianity is not that we have better rules, though we do. <laughs> right. But, <laughs> but, but somebody, you know, there are lots of people in lots of churches who spend their lives trying to follow the rules and never get saved. Yeah, right. that's right. So that's the first question. The difference is grace. The difference is the solution for the problem of sin. What common ground, if you think, okay, I'm meeting an Afghan Muslim, what common ground do we have? The Old Testament um, and the patriarchs. So, so a, 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 almost, a, though in theory they believe in the Old Testament, probably none of these guys have ever read it. They've only read or heard the Quran. Probably men, many of them have never read the Quran for themselves because they don't speak Arabic. Um, they've just heard their imam or their mullah teach it. But you're exactly right. They, there's many of the stories from the Old Testament we share. And we also share the idea that God is perfect and pure and holy. And that one day I'm going to have to stand in front of him and give account. So in a very real sense, on, on a theological level, you have a lot more in common with these Afghan refugees than you do with your unbelieving neighbors. Because the Afghan refugee is at least conscious of his sinfulness before God and looking for a way to deal with that. Where most of our neighbors, they're like, saved from what? Yeah, I'm fine. That's good. That's good. So let's just talk about, <laughs> so when I started going to Afghanistan, I was thinking, okay, how am I going to share the gospel with these people without getting killed? <laughs> and... That's a great advantage that we've got right now, brother. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it absolutely it is. The likelihood of getting killed is way lower. <laughs> but, I, but I thought, I'm going to ask questions. Because nobody can get mad at you if you ask questions. And so here, here are the questions that I found very useful. The first is sort of a statement. It's, you know, it seems to me like all religions are asking the same question. The question they're asking is, what do I need to do to be accepted by God? Say that back to me. It seems to me like all religions are asking the same question. It seems to me like all religions are asking the same question. The question is, what do I need to do to be accepted by God? The question is, what do I need to do to be accepted by God? And then you look at them and you say, either what do you believe about that 
or if you're not real close friends, it's it's easier to talk. I always think of it as talking to the person over their shoulder. You can say, so what do Muslims believe about that? So they're not telling you what they believe. They're just telling you what Muslims believe. And they're going to give you a list. They're going to give you a list of five things. And as they give the list, what are you going to do? Listen. You're going to listen. You're going to, usually what I try to do is I try to make some, you know, so I'm standing out on the street in Indonesia. I'm talking to a guy who sells noodles in a cart. And he says, well, uh, you know, I need to pray five times a day. I say, wow, that must be difficult. You know, can you really pray five times a day while you're selling noodles out here on the street? Oh, well, no, not really. And then, you know, I need to make a hajj to Mecca. Oh, have you been able to do that? Well, no, not yet. Only rich people can make a hajj. It's very expensive. Um, but I'm basically going to listen respectfully and ask questions. Not challenging questions, but sympathetic questions. And then after they explain, I'm going to say, can I ask you kind of a personal question? How do you feel that you're doing at those things? And, and I was telling Chris, I think every Muslim I've ever talked to, except one lady who said, said, oh, I'm fine. You know, everyone I've talked to has said something like, oh, I hope Allah is merciful. So what are they what are they thinking? What are they, what are they doing? That they've fallen short. Right. They're evaluating themselves against their own standards for what they need to do to be acceptable by God. And and they're saying to themselves, oops, I flunked. <laughs> you know, I, I hope God cuts me some slack. And honestly, if in this, you know, what, what Chris said is you guys are all going to meet with some of these people, try and set up dates to meet with them separately. If in the first conversation you got that far, which was what do you think you need to do to be accepted by God? How do you feel that you're doing at those things? I would say that's a pretty good meeting that you, you there's time pretty well spent, but just watch them. I, I remember having this discussion with, I was, you know, doing these English classes and I had the, this discussion with, I think there were five or six uh, Afghan medical students. And, you know, I, what do you have to do? They gave the list. How are you doing? Well, I hope Allah is merciful. And I kind of said, well, what's your plan? You know, if, if you got these rules and you're not following them, what's your plan? And one of the guys says, well, teacher, you know, I just need to try harder. Um, and I asked him, I said, well, how's, you know, in the past, how's that worked out for you? Have you found, you know, when you resolve to do everything right, that, that you're able to do it? I, I know with me, I find if I resolve at breakfast time to do everything right, by lunch, I've broken it. And they just sort of laughed, you know. And then they say, well, teacher, what's your plan? And, and then I talk to him about Jesus. But what we're trying to do is to bring them up against, you know, here's my list of things I have to do. And I'm not doing them. So I have this standard of legalistic righteousness, which I'm failing. And, and that's what that's what we have the answer to that they don't. So I so want you Mark, to just... can I ask a question. Yes. Is that is that typically your third question? How's that working out for you? 
it, it really it really is going to depend on where I am in the friendship because uh, it's easy for people to feel kind of backed up into a corner with these questions. And so you really have to ask them gently and kindly. Um, and, and that's why you need to, you know, as they're talking about, well, I try as best I can, but I, you know, I really am not able to do it always. I go, yeah, man, I, you know, I totally get that. That seems like that's the basic human problem. Um, so, so that, so that when I ask them, how do you feel like you're doing at those things? They don't, they don't feel like I put them on the defensive. Mark, in a, in a book we were reading, uh, what's the name of that book? Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus by uh, Nabil Qureshi, I think yeah. his name is. Yeah. He's a, uh, you read the book, yeah, or you know of it. Um, oh, yeah, you know, I've read it. Everything you're saying. Yeah, okay. So what about you? Well, I was going to say, when, when you say, or when you ask them, how are they doing, it's seemingly, from what I read, that they're, it's, to them, it's all, all works-based. Right. So if you're, if you're succeeding in the works, as long as you did more good works than you did bad works, you'll be judged favorably. Is that, is that a fair assessment of how they look at Judgment Day? Well... I, I will a lot of times they'll put their hands out like a scale. They go, well, I know I'm not always perfect, but I try to do this, you know, and so they have this idea of counterbalance. And, and we'll talk in a minute about how to address that. Um, we're we're going to address that from Adam and Eve. Um, because Adam and Eve lived in the garden for a long, long time. And, the, and for many, many years, they obeyed God perfectly. How many times did they sin? Just the once. But God didn't say, oh, well, you obeyed me 999 times, you know, and, and compared to the one disobedience. No, the one sin was enough to bring God's judgment and ejection from the, from the garden. And so what we learn is, is that God doesn't do sort of grade on the curve or if it's more, more bad than more good than bad, you're okay. That's, that's not how God works because God is perfect and pure. I they, was wondering how they looked at it. Yeah. I, I, uh, different people will look at it differently. Chris and I were talking about this. Um, what, don't feel, what I always feel like is use ignorance as a weapon. You don't know what they believe. You can, it, as long as you ask kindly, you can ask stupid questions. They won't be offended. <laughs> I mean, I've done a fair amount of work trying to understand Islam, and I meet Muslims where I think, man, I'm a better Muslim than you. Um, but, but it doesn't do me any good to tell them what they're supposed to believe and then tell them why it's not true. I just need to respond to what they actually believe. And so what I always say to myself is every person is the world's greatest expert on what they believe. And so just listen to what they have to say and respond to it. Don't worry whether it's Orthodox, Muslim or not. That, just a side note on that, that uh, Nabil Karish book, he's something called an Ahmadiyya Muslim, which the Afghans would all regard as a total heretic. 
you can use some of the things you learn to share with them, but don't quote that book to them Be, because they, they don't, they don't consider the Ahmadiyya Muslim at all. It'd be like, you know, somebody telling us about what happened to some Jehovah's Witness guy. And we just think, yeah, right. But he's a Jehovah's Witness. I want you to just pair up and practice asking those questions. Do you remember the questions? Okay. Seems to me like all yeah. religions are asking the same question. What do I need to do to be accepted by God? What do Muslims believe about that? In Christianity, kind of the more serious you are about Christianity, the more you want to see the Bible translated to every language. In Islam, the more fundamentalist you are, the more you insist that the Quran should only be in Arabic. And, and so non-Arabic speaking Muslims have only kind of a secondary knowledge of the Quran. Yeah, interesting. Okay. I, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to teach you how I like to share the gospel with Muslims. And it's basically a story. And I'll tell it and then we'll go and I want you to sort of remember and then together we'll we'll deconstruct it and make an outline. Okay. So who's the lady in the white pants closest to the computer? Nikki. Nikki. Hi Nikki. So you you're you're my Muslim that I'm talking to. So hi, my name is Mark. Hello. How are you today? Nice to meet you. I'm well, thank you. You know, I look around at the world and there's so many problems. What do you feel like is the biggest problem in the world today? People are not close enough to God. Mm. Little side note, you probably won't get that for an answer. (laughs) It'll be something like war or political corruption or whatever. Okay. but and and when they say something like that, I'll go, oh boy, that you know, political corruption is a terrible problem. Where does that come from? It comes from leaders being selfish and thinking only about themselves and not about the people they're leading. It really comes from sin in their hearts. And and so my opinion is the biggest problem in the world is sin. It destroys nations, it makes division between tribes. It breaks families apart, even in my own life. Sometimes I know what I should do and I don't do it. And some, I know what I shouldn't do and I do it anyway. That's so whatever problem, problem they bring up, point it back to sin. Yeah. So whatever problem. And, and I mean, I was talking to a guy. He said oil shortage. And I couldn't figure out a good way to back that up <laughs> to sin. So I just said, you know what I think? <laughs> You know what I think? I think the biggest problem is sin. He goes, yeah, you're right. Because of the greedy people who are taking all the oil. Yeah, right. Yeah, whatever, you know. Uh, and, but whatever they say, you know, global warming, whatever they say, it's, it comes from sin pretty much. Um, yeah. And that problem... Isn't really a re- isn't really a religious problem. It's a it's a basic human problem. That problem of sin existed long before there were Christians or Jews or Hindus or Muslims. As a matter of fact, if you go back to the very first man and woman, you have those in in your book in the Quran. 
Yes. Yes, you do. And you remember God put them in a perfect place where they could relax. There was food all over. They could eat fruit from any tree they wanted. And God just gave them one rule. And the rule was, don't eat the fruit of this tree. And if you do, you'll be punished. Well, after a while, Satan appeared in the form of a snake. And he tempted that woman to take the fruit. And she took it and she ate it. And she gave some to her husband and he ate it. And all of a sudden, they felt ashamed. So they tried to cover themselves. They tried to make clothes out of leaves, and they tried to cover themselves. And when they heard God, they went and hid in the bush. Now, that's pretty ridiculous to try to hide from God, but that's what they did. And so God said to them, did you eat the fruit of that tree that I told you not to eat of? Well, because you did, you're going to be punished. From now on, you're not going to live forever. You're going to die. And you're not going to be able to just eat the fruit from the tree. The man is going to have to work hard and sweat hard to earn a living. And women, when they have children, it's going to be very painful. And it's still that way. And God sent them out of the garden and they could never return. Um, But then God did a peculiar thing. He gave them a new set of clothes. He made them clothes out of animal skin. Now, up to that time, the man and the woman ate only fruit and vegetables. Nobody had killed an animal. But to make clothes out of an animal skin, what do you have to do? To make clothes out of an animal skin, you have to kill an animal. And, and so it an seems animal. like at that time, and, and so it seems like at that time, God made the very first sacrifice for sin. God made the very first sacrifice for sin. And and in the hundreds and thousands of years since then, and, and all of the, the prophets have continued to sacrifice. Since for then, sin. all of the prophets have continued to sacrifice for sin. So Noah sacrificed, Abraham sacrificed, so Moses sacrificed, sacrificed, David Abraham sacrificed. sacrificed. Moses sacrificed, David sacrificed. And in your own religion, even to this day, in every your year. Own religion, even to this day, every year. There's a day on which each family kills a sheep or a goat or a cow. And so God made a sacrifice. He also gave them a promise. He he said to them, one day will come a man born of the seed of a woman who will save people from their sins. Now, this is very strange because normally when we talk about a man, we say he's from the seed of his father. But here God said there would come a man born of a seed of a woman. And again and again, over the hundreds and thousands of years since then, the prophets repeated this promise that one day would come a man who would save people from their sins. Many, many years later, there came a prophet called John the Baptist. And in Arabic, his name is Nabi. Nabi means prophet Yahya. Nabi Yahya? Yahya, yeah. Yes. 
<laughs> and shortly after that was born Isa al-Masi, Jesus the Messiah. Now, who was Jesus' mother? Do you know? Mary. Yeah, Miriam. Miriam was his mother. And, and who was his father? The, uh, the, holy, the holy books agree Joseph was. that Isa that, that al-Masi had no human father, that God miraculously caused Miriam to become pregnant. And, the, and then she had Isa al-Masi, her son. And so Isa al-Masi, alone among men, was from the seed of a woman and not from the seed of a man. And when Nabi Yahya saw Isa al-Masi walking, he pointed to him and he said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Now, that's very strange. You have one prophet calling another prophet a sheep. Why would he do that? I don't know. <laughs> well, be because uh, from, all, yeah, from all the history that came before, the sheep was the animal that was sacrificed for sins. And he says, look, this man, man is the sacrifice that takes away the sins of the world. And according to the plan of Allah, he allowed Isa al-Masih to be falsely accused to be tried, to be convicted, and to be executed. And as he was dying, he said, it is finished. Because he was the sacrifice paying for all the sins that all of us have ever committed. And so I believe that if I, be if I believe in what he has done and commit myself to follow him, all of my sins can be forgiven. And so that's my solution to the problem of sin. Have you heard that story before? Not that way. So right up to Jesus dying, they'll track with you. Because they don't believe he died. Correct. Yeah, they don't believe he died on the cross. Correct. Um, but so, I mean, my experience is I start talking about Adam and Eve, they'll want to share about that story. I start talking about sacrifice, they'll start adding in prophets who sacrificed. They'll tell me about Eid al-Qurban, you know, the, the feast day on which everybody kills a sheep. And a lot of times what they'll say is that, oh, Eid al-Qurban, you know, no, 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 no. It's not really to pay for sins. It's to food for food for the poor. And I go, no, I understand. That's what it is now. But, but what I'm telling you is the original meaning of sacrifice. And, and then I'll close with, have you heard this story before? Do you believe this? Uh, and honestly, right about there, the most common response is something like, you know, I respect what you have to say. Thank you very much. But I have my own religion. And that's fine. That's fine. But I've put it out there. Now let's go backwards. Let's try and break it into pieces so you can remember it. How, how did we start? About what the greatest problem in the world is right now. What's oh, the biggest problem? That's, that's a bridge to get us to start to talk about sin.
So what's the biggest problem? Biggest problem is sin. And then from there, where do we go? Where does it come from? Yeah. And, and, and I like to say, this is not a religious problem. This is a human problem. This problem has existed long before there were Muslims or Christians or Jews or Hindus. It started with the very first man and woman. And what are the key things we want to say about Adam and Eve? That the judgment didn't matter if it was, they did a bunch of good things for so many years. Right. And, and you can explain that. You can explain it when it happens or often if they start, you know, going like this. Okay, you remember the story of Adam and Eve? How long did they live in the garden before they ate that fruit? We don't know. Could have been years. Could have been hundreds of years. You know, so they obeyed God perfectly all that time. And then just one sin. So this is not this. This thing is not how it works. So Adam and Eve, everything was good, just one command. They broke the command, and what happened? Shame, right? They tried to cover themselves. They hid from God. And, and, and then you got you to work to earn a living, pain in childbirth, leave the garden. So that's the bad news. And what's, what's the good news? God made clothes for them out of his animal yeah. skin. So the first sacrifice, the first, the first sacrifice, and the promise of a man born of the seed of a woman. And you got to remember that a man born of the seed of a woman. And to an Afghan ear, that sounds very strange. You don't talk about men born of the seed of a woman, you talk men born of the seed of their father. Uh, and honestly, that was also true to an Old Testament person. That sounded very strange. Yeah. Punishment, provision of the first sacrifice, and promise of the man born of a seed of woman who will save their people from their sins. Then we just talk about how this is continued through all the prophets. Sacrifice in their religion continues to this very day. And then we get to Nabi Yahya and Isa al-Masi. And what does Nabi Yahya say? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Right. And I can't say what he says. <laughs> Jesus is the Lamb. Yeah, I, what, what, I say, what I say, isn't that strange for one prophet to call another prophet a sheep? Why, what, why would he say that? It's because the sheep had been the sacrificial animal through all this time. He's saying this man, so it's is the final sacrifice, the sacrifice that takes away the sins of the world. I'm sorry, how do you spell the Isa uh, term term? I S A is Isa uh, and then Al Masi is A L M A S I H. It just means the Messiah. And that's a title the Quran uses for Jesus. So they, that won't that doesn't offend. That's just a title. Right. And and they don't really know what that means, but but it's okay. So have you ever had a conversation when you got to the point where he died and he was sacrificed and you come up against the belief that they're like, he didn't die? That's yeah, sure. What, what does that what kind of conversation does that look like? The way I think about it is 
I believe if God is working in this person, then he's going to resonate to the story. And, and so I, w- I want to tell the story and I don't want to get sidetracked. <laughs> I, okay. I mean, sometimes I'll say, no, I'll say, I understand, but this is my story. I get to tell it my way. And then we can talk about that later. <laughs> so, so yeah, I want, I, I want to try to avoid getting sidetracked. I want to just lay out there is a solution for sin. Uh, so, so that people, so they can respond to that, or even if they don't respond to it then and there, which they almost never will, it gives something, something to percolate in their brain. Let, let me just, let me just tell you a story, a little side note. So, I, I was standing there. You, you know, I asked the questions to, to these six um, Muslim six, medical students. Uh, and they said, so teacher, what's your plan? And I basically told this story. And they all stood there and looked at me and I went back to America. And a few weeks later, I got an email from one of the students saying, so teacher, if I wanted to follow Jesus, what would I do? And I... I, I thought, oh, this yeah, guy's trying to set up the missionaries who oh, are on the ground there. Uh, so I sent him back saying, why do you want to know? And and he responded, well, Jesus appeared to me in a dream after well, he left. And, and what do I do about the fact and that if I start to follow Jesus, you know, my dad would beat me up and kick me out of the house. And, and the governor has said any Muslim that converts to Christianity will be hung. And I thought, wow, that's a different cost-benefit analysis than I made when I was in college. Um. But he decided well, they, to follow Jesus. They believe, um, they believe, he decided to follow Jesus. And, and, and his friends beat him up and he was in the hospital. Um, and, and he asked his friends to come and see him. And he told his friends, you know, he, I, I, I forgive him. I forgive him. Which is not an Afghan thing to do. Um, and so this guy was the beginning, as far as I know, of the first little house church in Mazari Sharif. And I, to me, that was fascinating because when I was sharing with him, he, he was stone-faced. And what I didn't understand is with that group of guys, it really wasn't safe for any of them to respond with interest. Because if one of them responded with interest, the others we're going to wonder what's going on with this guy. And so that he needed to respond to me sort of offline separately. Um, But, but, but all that to say, if you share and they don't say, Oh, I want to accept Jesus right now. Don't be discouraged. (laughs) Don't be discouraged. This is the beginning of a process. So let's, let's keep breaking it down. It's biggest problem. Sin, 
this is not a religious problem. It's a human problem. You got to start with the first man and woman. And then you're going to talk about Adam and Eve, and in particular, their punishment, the provision of the first sacrifice for sin, and the promise of the man born of the seed of a woman. Then just trace the continuity of sacrifice and the prophetic promises of the Savior through the prophets to Nabi Yahya and Isa al-Masih. And then briefly tell the story of Jesus, how, and I always say, according to the plan of Allah, that this, this is not a mistake. He wasn't a doofus who stumbled into it. It was according to the plan of Allah, he allowed him to be falsely accused, to be tried, to be convicted, to be executed. And as he was dying, he said, it is finished. Meaning that that was the last sacrifice that paid for the sins of all men. And I believe that if I believe that and commit myself to follow him, my sins are forgiven. Have you heard this story before? That's so good. Now you're going to pair up and practice telling each other that story. And, it, and you're going to feel awkward. And it's just a basic principle in anything. You have to be bad before you can be good. If you're not willing to do it badly, you will never do it well. So just practice with, you, with, with each other and do it badly. All right, Mark, we're back. Okay. Uh, I, I guess I, I think we're done. And, and I mean, I, you know, I can keep talking forever, but I figure you're, you're probably at your absorption limit. Does anybody have any questions they want to talk about? What do they think about the devil and does that have any influence on them? Muslims believe in the devil. Um, they have this category of beings they call jinn, which are not neither angels nor demons, you know. But I guess the short answer is I don't really know. You should ask them. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I have a question. Yeah. This has to do with what kind of Muslims the Afghans are by and large. And I know it's not as clean cut as it was originally in 700 uh, AD when Islam divided into two sects, the Sunni and the Shiite. But what, which do they identify with? more or do they? Uh, Afghanistan is mostly Sunni with a Shiite minority group called the Hazara. Um, and the Hazara are very badly treated in Afghanistan, but so mostly Sunni Shia minority. Thank you. Is the Sunni uh, sect, so to speak, more fundamentalist? Is that more of the where the fundamental uh i don't want to call call it terrorism but you know the people that are militant against other religions come from no they both so, so for example um so we're jihad no that, that gets spread around so so it, iran is shia 
Saudi Arabia is Sunni. The you know the nine eleven bombers were all Sunni, but but Hezbollah and the Iranians are Shia. So so they they share that common trait. And within those, within those categories, there's there's also uh, subsects of those categories. Like we have Protestants and. Uh, Lutherans, Lutherans and Calvinists. they have sex subsects also. I think is that right? Yeah, yeah, but I just wouldn't worry about it. Yeah. All right. The, I mean, those aren't going to be important distinctions for us to make. That that it partly it's going to depend what part of Afghanistan they're coming from. The southern Afghanistan, different culture, different language than northern Afghanistan, different ethnicity. So northern Afghanistan is more Persia or Persian has more Shia, Southern Afghanistan is more Sunni. The, the Taliban all came up from the south to the north, so the, the Northern Afghanistan people hate the Taliban mostly. But And I just don't know where your folks are gonna come from. I'll, I'll tell you that they, uh, the language is Pashto and Dari. Okay. Okay. Might that help? Well, well, Pashto is the language of Southern Afghanistan. Dari is basically the same as Farsi which is the language of Northern Afghanistan. But honestly, like I said earlier, it, with all these things, just ask them. Just ask them. You're, you're not expected to know any of this stuff. This, this is amazing. This is uh, so helpful. And I, I think Thank you. The, the consensus here is that once we study this and feel like we've gotten a little bit better at it, we'd love to have kind of a 102 class from you. Yeah, I'd love to do that. Thank you, Mark. Thank All right, you. so thank you, Mark. Hey, you're We're grateful yeah. to you, brother. Yeah, well, it's fun being a fun being a part of this. This way, I get I get credit if good things happen. <laughs> well, it's a pleasure meeting all, all you over Zoom. I hope I hope you get a chance to meet in person. God bless you as you as you head out into this adventure. Thank you, Mark. God bless you, brother. We'll talk soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.